right, welcome to OpenHive.js, our podcast on all things JavaScript with Nearform guests. I'm James Snell, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Matteo Kalina, and our guest, Rob Palmer, to discuss, it says here, ECMAScript excitement. There's all kinds of things to be, be excited about with, with, with JavaScript and where the language is going. Rob, why don't you introduce yourself, let folks know who you are and where you come from. Hey, hey. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Rob Palmer. Uh, I'm the uh, JavaScript infrastructure and tooling lead at Bloomberg. Uh, and I'm also a co-chair of TC39. Uh, so with my day job, uh, I look after a, a, Java, a JavaScript platform that we have internally uh, that supports the Bloomberg terminal, uh, which is a, a financial product. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, that's supporting a lot of application developers, a lot of apps sitting on top of that. And uh, yeah, so in general, uh, very interested in uh, in the JavaScript language and uh, and keeping that nice and nice and fresh. Hi, folks. Hi, everybody. So thank you for joining, Rob. It's uh, weird. We wanted to have you for a while, and you said you take care of a you know JavaScript application. You know, isn't Bloomberg a, a financial company or something? What? what? <laughs> you know, what is Bloomberg then? Uh, so, yeah, I guess um, before I joined Bloomberg, I didn't really have a clue. I thought maybe it was a TV station, maybe some radio uh, and so on. Uh, and it, it turns out that the, the core of Bloomberg, the Bloomberg terminal, is... A uh, is a desktop application. Uh, it used to be a physical product with a physical terminal that was sh shipped to customers, uh, but nowadays it's a, a Windows program uh, that runs. And it's uh, you can think of it as a bit like a browser for financial applications. So uh, you have all your tabs with different applications running. There's about ten thousand uh, uh, functions you can run there. Uh, people run it via a command line. So uh, traders have muscle memory for typing out the, the short functions to, to navigate around. And then they can view uh, streaming market data. So there's a lot of tabular grids of, of numbers, uh, streaming information about securities from exchanges all around the world. And, uh, and when I say it's like a browser, that's because it kind of is under the hood in, in many ways uh, with the, the client side built on Chromium. Uh, so this this might be familiar uh, to people uh, familiar with Electron apps, um, but the the point is that the the application layer at least is all written in JavaScript. So those those ten thousand applications are are yeah are built using JavaScript. So I mean that that similar to Electron and similar to browsers thing you know is it, it, interesting. Um, where whereas most people would think I think of a of an Electron app, it does a single thing. Right. If you think of like VS Code, or if you, you know, you know all the, you know, all these electron apps, they do one thing. And then, and you know, if I understand correctly, with terminal, it's that you know you have a single, uh, you know, process that's actually running multiple apps. It's doing multiple different things, and that's that's one of the key differences between terminal and electron, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's um, uh, that's a good distinction. If if you watch any of the uh, like the the, the films, uh, the, the movies that involve financial trading, uh, uh, usually with you know uh, big screens, and you see uh, traders with lots of lots of different windows, uh, different widgets displaying, uh, that's what the the terminal looks like. And each one of those, we do our best to isolate as a separate app within the terminal, meaning um, we have to work on uh, on defending the individual application from interfering with other app apps that are running. So we have good traceability for, for debugging. Why did a prob uh, problem occur? And uh, yeah, managing those resources when you have lots and lots of processes and you're trying to get even more widgets displayed than you have processes, uh, that then starts to involve kind of aggregation techniques. Platform. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned Chromium that it, that it's using that, but you know, you're not using Electron. You're not using Node. I mean, this is a kind of homegrown, Bloomberg-grown uh, JavaScript infrastructure, right? Yeah, I'll I'll get back to the Node part, uh, but but yes, this is very homegrown, um, and it was actually a bit of a bet, a bit of a risk um, back because all, all this started in around 2003. 
So, so back then, uh, C++ was the dominant language to write all these applications in. Uh, and it started to creak a bit because diagnosing why you have memory corruption when you have you know, 100 apps all running in one process is really hard because you have all these different development teams and you try to isolate them as much as possible. Um, so we were, we were having these challenges uh, with, with debugging issues, um, but also with development speed. Uh, it took 45 minutes between writing some code and seeing the effects in the UI. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit different to what modern developers expect uh, nowadays with you know, hot reloading and so on. Uh, so um, uh, that's why uh, we had to turn to a, a new language. And, uh, and yeah, so around 2003, 2005, server-side JavaScript was, was brought in and it really saved the day. It was a real game changer. Um, and it was also a little bit of a, a little bit of a stretch, right? Not, not everyone would think that JavaScript on the server side would be the, the right thing to do back then. I'm not sure everyone is convinced it's the right thing to do today. <laughs> no, no, it's been around for ten years, but um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's definitely interesting. You know that, that you've been doing that. You know the server side JavaScript so much longer than than even Node has been around. You know, so it, it's um, it, the the wealth of experience there. I think can't be uh, can't get lost on anybody. So um, so 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 yes, it gave us a lot of great experiences. Um, we have a lot of uh, you, you know you end up pushing the boundaries. You end up finding out about the, the limitations and uh, finding homegrown issues as well. So I think one, one of the things that, that led to was a long period of parallel evolution. So we had, you know, Node appeared in the wild, um, Electron appeared in the wild, uh, and, and these things then uh, became very successful. You know, they've had a lot of contributors and the network effects you get of the, of the ecosystem rallying around um, you know, it, Node has uh, achieved great feats. It's a very impressive project. And so so then all of a sudden it becomes appealing to, to try and strive towards that. Uh, and and that's, that's really what we've tried to do uh, in the, you know, the last five years or so is really investing in being more like Node. I think the, you know, just Bloomberg's investments just in the JavaScript community, uh, you know, your involvement with TC39, um, and I know Philip, you know, Dunkel, uh, also from Bloomberg has been working on Temporal and, uh, and actively involved with, with, with quite a few things. I think it, it really shows your investment in, in that community. Uh, and if I'm correct, Bloomberg just recently joined the OpenJS Foundation too, correct? That's right. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that was a, that was a very big deal. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that uh, uh, we managed to join uh, OpenJS. It's it's really a very natural thing as well. Um, the uh, obviously uh, with with greater use of Node, uh, that's that's obviously a major feature there. Um, but but yeah, all, all round, really, what is good for JavaScript is good for Bloomberg. So I hope this hope it all you know it all spirals in, in positivity. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I absolutely love that mentality. What's good for JavaScript, what's good for the ecosystem comes back to be good for the, you know, for, for those of us in, working in that ecosystem. Uh, and we always need to be making sure we're making the decisions that are good for the platform, good for the, the ecosystem, not just us individually. As, Talking as about nice. the ecosystem, okay, I would want to, to question you or challenge you on a very hot topic, okay? Most of people that know me think that I'm really not super, I'm not really into TypeScript. I'm supporting TypeScript users, but I'm not really into, into writing TypeScript myself. I really like my dynamic JavaScript. However, I have, there was a fantastic write-up very recently that you are migrating all of um, adopting TypeScript at scale at Bluebird. So it's a massive, it was a massive change. Um, so, why and uh, what are the benefits? What you probably know more better than anybody. What are the uh, key advantages and disadvantages of of TypeScript? Right. So, so yeah, I've, uh, so Matteo, I have I have certainly noticed uh, your your vibe towards TypeScript. Uh, it's uh, it's out there. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think 
just looking at the popularity of TypeScript with the you know the the recent state of JS survey really shows that it's 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 surging. I think the things that we've really benefited from are, are the things like uh, just the better developer ergonomics around auto completions and you know instant errors. Uh, it's uh, I mean obviously it does make your code more robust when you have that greater confidence. And, and and also, I'm not you know, the TypeScript never eliminates the need to test your code, but there's certain classes of pro, of problem that you can at least you know some of those uh, those really basic unit tests uh, you can at least have have hope that um, that TypeScript is is covering that for for you, uh, and the the whole the theme of robustness is so important with financial products, um, you know we we can't get that decimal place wrong. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, uh, it's 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 super important when when big numbers are on the line uh, to get those things right, and 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 really uh, the the proof is 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 in the pudding. It TypeScript sells itself really uh, when when we put it out there. Uh, we made it available to uh, to the internal developers uh, in the you know in, in the beta alone. We had a hundred different pro- projects opting in, um, so we we didn't have to really push it much. Developers were pulling it because I don't know they they can they can feel that it helps them. Yeah, I, I, I've 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 always had a, a distrust for transpiled anything, um, but TypeScript is slowly winning me over. Um, kind of pushed into it here recently, um, Anna Henningsen, when we were working on the Pacina um, uh, worker threads library opted to go with, with, with TypeScript. And I, I, and I was kind of kicking and screaming going into it. Then I looked at it, I'm like, oh man, this, this is actually quite, actually kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and, and that, that experience, um, at least internally has been really common. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, we've, we've had, we've had folks that a few years ago were big vocal skeptics. Um, you, you may have even met some, um, but, once they've tried it, once they've done a few few projects, um, they very quickly turn into to champions uh, of it. So, I think uh, yeah, you just you just need to try a few a few projects, and most people come out of the uh, the other side um, re- really really positive about it. Now, I, I will say, you know, Mateo and I, you know, we, we will typically look at a lot of this stuff with our perf- you know JavaScript performance hat on, and, and it's just like uh, we don't want transpiled stuff because it always tends to run a little bit slower. The one thing I have noticed about TypeScript is that the transpiled code it does produce is is, is actually pretty well optimized. Um, I mean, there's there's some warts in there. There's some things that that, that slow it down, uh, but but you know, it actually produces pretty good code. So Mateo, I, I, you know, I don't know what you're, you're liking. You should just convert everything it's, over to TypeScript uh, at this point. Mostly my, uh, my skepticality around uh, TypeScript is that certain things, like it, 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 it forces a certain type of code to be written. And this is probably the really good side of this and also the um, bad side of, of it as well. Within the context of an application, I think it's it's really good, and I've seen the benefits that it can bring. Uh, inside a, a framework, I don't see, and I don't see as many value as many uh, values on it. Like I think it just limits creativity to some extent. Certain things it does not get to. If what you're doing, it's not already typed or 100% there, you might end up fighting the compiler for a day or two or a half a day just to, you know, get through something, okay? And that level for me, for what I do personally, as for what I code, is mostly an unacceptable loss of, of productivity. Uh, but for others, it is different, okay? So uh, one of the things that's missing and is not really, you know, there, it's um, I do a huge lot of prototypical inheritance in my in the way I code. I use why I use object.create a lot, for example. It's a, an API that I like very much because it enables you to create encapsulation contexts 
and the, that type of uh, dynamicity of JavaScript. And note that that dynamicity is actually pretty fast, okay, to do because actually the, the, the runtimes have been optimized for this for a long time. So it's actually pretty fast. They're actually pretty fast in doing, creating this type of encapsulation. It's, it's not really typed well to some extent. Okay, it's not. It goes again. It screams against the the pattern of uh, you know statically typed things. Um, so that's my you know that's my main concern. Uh, overall, it improved a lot over time. So right now, it's most usable for what I'm doing. So happy days. Yeah, I I, I can see that. Uh, obviously, JavaScript allows you to be expressive in many many ways, and the you know the uh, the uh, the people working on the engines really do magic on performance to make almost you know even highly dynamic patterns super fast. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that TypeScript steers you towards certain styles. And so if those are not the styles that you're used to and not the styles that you love, I can I, I can see how that, um, how that that kind of clashes a bit. Um, over the years, I think TypeScript has has been able to encompass more and more patterns, and has done that done that really well. I think uh, it's a very sympathetic addition to JavaScript. So they so I, it may it may not cover all of your your particular styles, but uh, um, I, I still think it's really impressive the range that they've managed to capture. Uh, just going back to James' point um, earlier about the quality. Of the transpiled output, there, um, I'd say that we don't really use TypeScript as a uh, compiler or as a. We don't use it for down leveling. Um, we just ask for the types to be removed, and then we take that uh, latest output. and And the reason is that um, for the for the Bloomberg terminal at least, we have the luxury of controlling the runtime version. So we're not we're not deploying to a range of browsers at different levels. It's a it's a managed controlled target. So therefore, um, we don't actually use any trans uh, transpilation. It's uh, it's just using the absolute latest ESNext, uh, and uh, and this allows us access to, to all those you know wonderful new features. Um, and and yeah, it means that we we have full performance. Uh, yeah, it's, that's nice. You know, be, being able to control that entire execution environment and uh, deployment environment and er everything else just just it's uh, it's it makes basically it so make, much nicer. It's so nice. Like from my 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 main as um, library uh, author on npm, my main concern with TypeScript is that TypeScript does not exist. It's a, it's a it's a multiverse of uh, runtime of all the permutation of of, of possible TS configs. And it's a pretty big number if you make the calculation of all the options. Uh, if you turn all the flags, it goes to combinatorial explosion very, very quickly. And the funny thing is that some of those are even in conflict with each other. Like if you if you are a module author and you want to have your code working with both, uh, with certain different things uh, turned on at the same time, as well as Node ESM, you get into a complete mess of code itself and it's uh, i don't know i'm just like it seems a lot of self-inflicted pain oh yeah there's so much self-inflicted pain with with trans you know, all the different transpilers and different platform versions and, and different node versions and different browser versions and <laughs> different targets here and there uh just understanding what which version of whatever platform you're going to have even just basic esm support is 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 is, is really difficult to know these days that so that was the angle that we really focused on uh, with our project to deploy TypeScript. Uh, it was to eliminate the need to set up that configuration at all. Um, because as, as far as the emitted code goes, you know, we don't want any, any down leveling. It's just the, the absolute latest, just, just strip the types uh, and then we'll, we'll take that plain JavaScript output uh, and then when it comes to effectively, you know, configuring the type checking itself, the um, the, the error checking there, um, we've we've opted to go 
fully for the strictest possible modes. So again, this, this cuts down the, the multiplicity of, of options, and it means that all of our projects are sharing um, essentially the simplest options as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that um, it's, it's an area where by imposing constraints, you actually really simplify the problem. Yeah, and I, I think for team development, you know, particularly in the scale that you know Bloomberg is on, or pretty much any enterprise, you know, be, being able to have that highly opinionated, very focused, you're heading this direction type of configuration, I think is is, is ideal. Uh, and I'm seeing more and more and more that TypeScript is just probably the way to go for large, you know, you know larger companies that are deploying this stuff at scale. Sorry, Mateo. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, to be honest, I, uh, uh, I agree. Essentially, it's uh, uh, it's pretty it's pretty nice. I was uh, super pleased when uh, Ethan started working uh, on the uh, Fastify uh, revamp of the revamp of the Fastify types that have boosted so much of the popularity of the framework. It's actually pretty great to work with once you start using. Uh, um, TypeScript, so it's uh, it's really really fantastic. Um, as far as using TypeScript inside, uh, I'm not. I would not. Like, I'm not even sure that the types from that will come from, even if it were in, in in TypeScript internally, the types that would it will generate automatically will be enough. Will good for the for the users essentially. It's uh, it's it's very. There are some very things that some things that are very dynamic in there. So. Yeah, it, well, it's just like with Node Core. It's better that the types are defined externally from Node Core because if they tried to derive them from anything, any of the code actually in Node, it would be an absolute mess. <laughs> stuff comes from all over the place. Um, but yeah, that that angle of adding types to existing code, uh, I think that that is that's nearly always a harder problem. Than, uh, than writing the code in TypeScript in the first place, um, because then you're you're already inherently accepting the uh, the the styles and the the constraints. Uh, whereas, yeah, existing code can be doing wild and wacky things, and uh, and e even though I'm even though you know it can be very beautiful, uh, it can still be hard to type. We've had a few struggles with that with uh, uh, upgrading Piscina. Uh, to match some newer node features, where the node features you know did, weren't weren't reflected actually in the types for <laughs> for core yet, so which was yeah some fun trickery uh, to get that working. Um, so so yeah, so I think TypeScript it's a thing. It, it's very popular, right? Um, uh, it, it does appear that you know. Um, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's, there's a question in, in, in the show notes here. Do we always need to build step now? Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's a little legitimate question. I mean, is this build step, this or this compile step, part of the JavaScript experience now? Yeah, I think I, I think it's a very in, interesting question uh, because uh, um, really, if if you're using um, even the majority of, of, of TypeScript today, it really is just Type annotations on top of regular regular JS. Uh, it's not it's not generating uh, different code at runtime. It's not it's not like a, a, a very invasive feature. So uh, so I think you know you, you could uh, you could imagine that that JavaScript itself may accept the, the you know the TypeScript syntax, but then just throw it away. Uh, th this is something that you know personally. I, I would love to see this um, because then it means that that you can take your your TypeScript source code, and you know you can have error checking happening in your editor. But when you go to run it, when you actually just you know you invoke Node and, and run your code, that's it. The code you're looking at is the code that, that that's running. I don't know. What what do you think about that? I, I like the idea. Um, uh, it, 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 but then again, I, you know, I like any idea that makes developers' lives easier, and, and, and having something like that is going to be, you know, would be good. Joe, what do you think? From my point of view, it's uh, uh, pretty. So, one of the most requested feature 
in Fastify, sorry, I'm going back to my experience with TypeScript, it's all, it's all Fastify related. Um, so the most requested features feature of Fastify and of TypeScript plus Fastify is typed schemas. So when you build an HTTP server, you want to validate your inputs that um, are uh, essentially matching a certain structure. So you have a certain query string formatted in a certain way, you want the body of your request formatted in a certain way, and you want to enforce this. At, and this is at the runtime part of it, right? You want to validate your code, and you validate the input that it matches a certain structure. If you don't, you are exposing your application to big security risks. Now, uh, earlier on, a lot of TypeScript developer were thinking that, oh, I'm just using TypeScript. I don't need to validate my, my inputs. This was the uh, first generation of TypeScript developers, okay? Ah, it's fun. It's a fun one, okay? It's, uh, it's, uh, and so, okay, a few really smart uh, people said, oh, no, we need to actually validate our inputs. So uh, uh, there is a lot of different options. Now, the problem with that is that you need to have to match a TypeScript definition on one side and on the other side, uh, uh, a JavaScript validator. A JavaScript validator can be JSON schema based, for example, there are a lot of options there. Um, or even there are some even other fluent APIs, like there's a lot of options. You can define them in JavaScript. You can define the schemas in, in, in the JSON format and then get some uh, TypeScript uh, types out of it or generate the types, the types and then get the schema from the types. Uh, there is a lot of different options and it's a very wide range of things. But in those areas, it's where you start to see some friction between the fact that TypeScript is an add-on on top of the language. And, uh, uh, and this is uh, where having that uh, to some extent, uh, uh, conundrum resolved. So being able, if somebody really wants to actually validate the type the, that an object has certain matches that type at runtime, that would be, I think, a very good addition to uh, uh, to the language, uh, and that's not there. I see. So, so you're a fan of uh, of runtime type checking as as well as compile time. Well, I'm not. I'm not a fan of it, but I am seeing. So the fee, the number one feature request from TypeKit developer in in Fastify is is that. And every every now and then somebody says, "Oh, I didn't like all the other approaches, so I wrote my own." So there's like four or five now different ways of of dealing with it. And 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 there's an important nuance here. I mean, you know, it, it's it, it's not so much you know adding strict type checking to the language as much as it is is type validation right everything is still untyped you know at, at runtime you know, you know that kind of thing we just want to be able to validate that, that something matches a schema i think every single time we start talking about types in javascript it gets caught up with that 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 first view that's like oh no you know javascript is an untyped language we're not you know you know why do we want to add strict typing to it um, and we never get to that other conversation. It's like, no, it's not about that. There is a um, there is a need for good, strong input validation. Um, and if we could tie that back to language features, like the way TypeScript does, then I think it would just benefit everybody. Yeah, yeah, we, we've certainly um, hit all of those cases that that you described. That there, there um, you know, have schema validation, and uh, uh, we, we've managed to. To have, you know, for example, XML schemas where then the types are auto-generated from them um, for regular API endpoints and, and so on. And one of the really nice features is because our application platform um, allows for atomic deployment of both client-side and server-side code. So you can have one, one, one code base and it's deployed together. So you don't have to worry about versioning. Separate versions between the client and the server. Um, uh, we we have you can define your server side endpoint, and the types automatically flow, flow over towards the client side where it's using it. So you've got this end to end typing that crosses the network boundary, uh, and that that it's like magic because it's you don't even need to to write compile in your IDE. 
you add something, you add an extra you know, server-side uh, request, uh, a server-side endpoint, and then immediately that shows up in the auto-completion um, for the client side. Um, so, uh, so, so, so yeah, that's a, a wonderful feature. Fantastic. Yeah. Like I said, you know, going back to the thing, if you can control, if you can control that entire environment, it's, uh, <laughs> it makes things very nice. Um, so let's talk about some, you know, some of the, some of the other features. So ESM modules, um, you know, you're talking about, you know, you're able to use kind of the latest stuff, with, uh, uh, in, in, in terminal, are you making extensive use of, of, uh, ESM modules? Uh, yeah, yes, very, very much so. That that was uh, you know before we moved to TypeScript, the the basic first step that we put in place was to upgrade to to, to ESM, and uh, that's been highly appreciated by developers. That previously, uh, in internally, we used to use AMD, and AMD has this has this uh, property where everything is in, enclosed in a function. So it's, it's like all of your code is indented one level. And this, this might sound mild, but it annoys everyone. So, uh, um, so, so yeah, just being able to upgrade for the, for the syntax uh, was, was wonderful. But it's also given us an extra level of capability here. Um, I know it's not, not everyone is convinced of the value of, of ESM, um, but, but for us, it's, it's allowed, we even have experiments now where our our code that we run in our custom custom runtime uh, that is uh, that is plain ESM, we can now load that directly into a browser. So it's it's now it's not really Bloomberg code. It's now universal JavaScript, and you can choose which which runtime you load it into. Uh, and that's you know that's, that's proof of of I think the value of standards, and and why you know striving towards standards uh, uh, can pay off. Yeah, <laughs> I was just looking at the show notes here, and as I just saw that there's a, a a comment. It's a miracle that ESM happened in Node. Um, yeah, <laughs> 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 that we that we finally got this far. I mean, uh, I think it was 2016. I wrote a a blog post about how difficult it was going to be, and finally we have it. You know, unflagged supported feature. Um, now you know four you know five years later, um, it, it's. <sighs> There's definitely we're we're already seeing some migration pains. You know the differences between Common JS and you know if folks don't don't realize it when you're running code in in in, in Node, um, you know just like with AMD where everything is encapsulated in a function, that that's a, that's how Node works too. You know when it loads a module in Common JS, you, you it it literally wraps that code in a function and then loads it and executes the function. <laughs> so um, it, it has its it has its warts. What what are some of the migration pains you have seen with moving to ESM from? So so, so internally for, for us it wasn't so bad because AMD um, or the the old AMD modules we had they were naturally asynchronous. So that's actually a that's a one to one match with ESM. So so migrating was was quite easy because we could use a mechanical code mod. To go from AMD to ESM, uh, unfortunately, CommonJS is not asynchronous. It's a, a, a synchronous. How do, how do I say that? It is a synchronous pattern. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so so that's where a lot of the um, a lot of the the friction comes from. And um, you know, I, I was part of the the Node modules working group, and I saw just how much hard work went into making that. That migration story as simple and easy as possible. Um, so for a lot of cases, you know, the, these things uh, can be switched over. Um, but I think the obviously the, the one that will catch out people is that from a common JS module, you, you cannot perform a require and synchronously load an ESM module. Uh, and, and that's something that in you know in the days of Babel transpiled modules, it looked like that maybe could be possible but then with with true native support um yeah because because es modules can have top level await and other asynchronous things um yeah that's the that's the thing to watch out for so the so the question there is it, it, at some point here do we as an ecosystem just need to make a hard switch 
and just say, great, CommonJS, you did great. We did wonderful things um, with you. There's all these modules out there. They're going to stay out there. But moving forward, everybody just needs to use ESM because that's just the way to go. I, f I feel like uh, it's, it's fairly clear that ESM now is inevitable and it is, uh, it is the, the future. Um, obviously, CommonJS has served us very well. It's given us a whole ecosystem of reusable software. And uh, we have people, I'm personally very th thankful for that. Um, uh, I think we're, we're starting to see some of the, of the more like famous module developers uh, declare that they will migrate. Uh, Sindre Soros uh, wrote, wrote an article on this re recently. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not a simple thing of, of just saying, right, let, let's switch. Um, because the migration is a lot easier from the top down. So if you've got an app, yeah, switching an app to ESM is, is easy enough. And then switching the next level down is, is, is fine. If you, if you go from the top of the app down to the bottom most modules, but if you start at the bottom, then you've got a Semver major breaking change. And so obviously then that has ripple effects throughout, throughout the ecosystem. There is one thing that is really missing right now in the ESM ecosystem in Node.js, which is uh, APM support. So uh, application performance management. One of the uh, compromises that was done to ship ESM, native ESM in Node.js was to not finish the uh, loader specification. Um, this is a significant issue because um, you know, for an application performance monitoring tool to work, they need to be loaded before everybody, everything else, and they need to monkey patch uh, things when some application starts. There are some things that are easier to monkey patch than others, but there is some monkey patching to be done everywhere, at least for the current experience that they want to give to their end users. So uh, right now, uh, if you are an enterprise, if you're working in the enterprise, in, in an enterprise or being company context where you need to have an APM, an APM can be Datadog, New Relic, Elastic APM, uh, uh, Stack Driver from Google or from Google, whatever, change name, but I don't remember the new name. I still remember the old days where Ali was working on it. Uh, then uh, uh, I surely forget some 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 of them. Okay, there are plenty plenty of options uh, in Stana or others. Like there is a lot of uh, Dynatrace. Uh, there are a lot of those that that uh, that are there. And currently, supporting those so that use case has been considered subpar uh, versus uh, the end user experience. Um, so essentially, it's uh, it, uh, my fear is that it will create uh, uh, um, two tiers of, of developers. So essentially, developers that can not have an APM and uh, uh, just ship native SM and upgrade their dependencies, and folks that will need to stay uh, on CommonJS and more and more about legacy uh, things uh, uh, in, in until that's done. It, it definitely Very, is a step backwards in, in visibility and diagnostics. Yeah, sure. it's a step back. So, very luckily enough, and this is something that I'm, you know, uh, uh, these uh, as essentially woken up the beast uh, of all those companies that seldomly don't tend to contribute to Node.js in any form or fashion. And uh, now they are all panicking because they're well, a chunk of their business model is now being threatened by JavaScript developer wanting to use native SM and they can't do anything about it. Okay. And uh, 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 so maybe we'll see some contribution from them. So anyway, if you work for Datadog, Elasticsearch, Datadog is actually the only one that is contributing with some people to the problem. Okay. Uh, right now. Um, and screen, but they just got acquired. So whatever. This Datadog is just is doing work on this on this problem. Uh, the others probably not. So if you work for an APM company that you are not contributing to Node Core right now, you should 
if you have problems talking to your manager in you spending at least 20, 30, 50% of your time developing, uh, helping, maintaining that part of Node, please contact me, James. I think even Rob can put you in contact with the interest party with people that can help you. Or if you have money, please reach out to Rob, which is neutral, okay, and can direct you direct <laughs> to, to somebody people, to spend yeah, this right. money uh, for uh, 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 developing these features. In, in and, and it really just comes down to this. You know, we, we have to have a standard um, supported way of injecting this code. Um, uh, monkey patching was always kind of like a, um, you know, wink and nod kind of approach for doing it, right? It was never a great way, uh, right? When we've had you know, uh, so much of Node Core um, development just be made so much more difficult because the ecosystem goes out and monkey patches part of it. We change the internals and suddenly everything breaks. It, it's, it, it's not a great solution. If we can get the loader spec going and actually have a, a well-defined um, way of injecting these, you know, uh, this code and injecting these wrappers, Right then, I think it just benefits everybody. It makes things far more reliable, and you know it protects the business of of the APMs and delivers value to to the end users. So we have to get that piece done. But I think th the ecosystem is going to march towards ESM regardless. Right? It's gonna it's going to keep going, and we're gonna and, and the lack of an APM solution is not going to stop it. Right. So I think I, I think, you know, that the, it puts the, the 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 responsibility <laughs> on those APM uh, providers to come and bring a solution to to, to you know, to us that, that we can that we can uh, uh, implement. So, yeah, I think there's there's very tricky ecosystem dynamics there. Um, so certainly, I'm I, I really hope the loader spec uh, get, gets fin gets finished. I'm, I'm sure it will. Um, but uh, but yeah, with with all these things, someone needs to do the work, and it's uh, it's, it's it's very easy to it's very easy to treat these projects like like you know there is a a magic fairy somewhere that just churns out code, and we get new features all the time. But yeah, all of these need to be paid for somehow, uh, whether it be through you know individuals contributing their time, um, or you know uh, companies uh, uh, funding and sponsorship. Um, but but yeah, I think you know no one has really cracked. Or sorry, as far as I'm, I'm aware, no one has really cracked open source uh, funding. No, yeah, it's it, you know you're talking about you know open source features don't grow on trees. Everyone thinks Fetch is just going to magically appear uh, in, in in Node, for instance. You know that that API is going to take some work. But you know, we've just had some recent conversations about that. That these things do not appear overnight. Um, and and, and they take you quite know. Some time. Even more finally, somebody asked. Uh, I asked on Twitter. Somebody says, "Oh, I said this loud on Twitter," and somebody said, "Oh, how much um, uh, uh, money will take to ship this?" And my answer to that was, "Yeah, maybe you will need an engineer working alpha here for for shipping this feature." And uh, it was like, "I said, what?" <laughs> And uh, you know it's it's a lot and a lot of work for some of these. It's just a small small matter of engineering, right? Um, <laughs> you know, just somebody go build a bridge somewhere. Um, so uh, some of the other thing, you know, I, I so I know Bloomberg. You know, I mean, you're, you're co chair of TC thirty nine, and I know Bloomberg's been active in in what's what's happening at the TC thirty nine level. Um, what are some of the projects? Like I know Philip's been working on uh, on on temporal, but I know that there's some other things that, that y'all have been working on. Uh, yeah, what's what are some that you have in mind? So, um, so, so I guess yeah, temporal is is super exciting, uh, and is seems to be in the closing stages now. Uh, so uh, so that that one in particular, temporal is stage two at the moment, um, but uh, I, at the moment it's on the agenda. To ask for stage three in the March TC thirty nine meeting, um, so so that could be very close to, to getting to the point uh, where it can start to be shipped in, in browsers and, and Node. Um, so, so that's that's awesome work. Uh, there's a there's a huge cast of people that have worked on that. Um, I think in in TC thirty nine at the moment, um, my my favorite proposal, um, and, and I'm biased obviously, uh, is record and tuple. Uh, which is uh, an, an immutable value type or immutable value types for uh, JavaScript. 
so, so what this means is that you can have something that looks like an object or an array, um, but it's it's fully read read only. And the the really important thing is that it it is a value type, meaning that when you use equality comparison, when you use triple equals, these things compare by value, not by identity. And this is a feature that you, you can see in, in, in other languages. I'm, I'm really pleased uh, that it you know, looks like it might be part of, of JavaScript. Uh, the, the syntax for it is really simple as well, which is that it just looks like a regular object declaration, but there's a hash in front of it. So it's a, a very terse syntax. For... This one is, is one I, I'm definitely very interested in, you know, in, in particular, um, you know, I've been doing quite a bit of work with uh, worker threads in node, uh, having these multiple contexts and that kind of thing. And, and one of the challenges is the fact that, you know, these objects in JavaScript are, are fully mutable, right? They're, 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 you know, it, it makes some things quite difficult. Um, we do have the, the clone algorithms and that, you know, and there's, there, there's tricks we can do in node to make, make things shared and synchronized across. One thing I am looking forward to exploring, and this is this is down the road quite a bit, is whether or not these immutable data structures are something that we could share safely across um, uh, threads in multiple contexts. Um, it, it's something way down the road that I've been, you know, really, you know, have started playing with. But just the, just having these immutable data structures available in language, I think it's going to open up a ton of really interesting use cases. Why are records and tuples so exciting for you? You know, what are you looking forward to doing with them? Oh, um, so uh, a, a, a standard use case that, uh, that I'd really like to be able to do is composite map keys. So at the moment, mm, yeah. if you've got three pieces of data and you want to store that in, in, in a map, um, the, the only real way to do it at the moment is to somehow encode it in a string so that you can uh, get that equality comparison working later. Uh, whereas this, you could have, you know, a, a person name broken into, you know, a first name surname as a as a record, and then that you'll be able to match on that later. It, it's really quite nice, and, and it means that uh, uh, that effectively you don't need to invoke a, a custom deep equality operator, so you can just use the language as is, triple equals, which I think is a really clear signal to to readers, and you know. Hopefully, leads to, to good maintainable code. It's also faster, so. Oh, it'll be it'll be, heck, it'll be a whole lot I, faster. Uh, I yeah yeah. Um, I am going to be a little bit cautious there because uh, that that isn't an, an area where lots of people are hoping uh, for for really really good good performance. And sure, I'm not going to say it's going to be bad, um, but at the moment the expectation is that the equality comparison will be linear time. Um, so there maybe, maybe there'll be some optimizations down the line to do things like interning to get things a bit faster. But the, the default uh, expectation at the moment is, is that equality will be linear time. Yeah, I, 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 definitely from the start. I think down the road, um, you know, as an immutable data structure, I, I think there are going to be very real opportunities to, to highly optimize. Um, you know, we know these things aren't going to be changing. We can generate a hash the first time around and just, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and compare those much easier, much faster later on. So I, I, I think, you know, j just from a, the, the, the possibilities of what we could do with this, it's exciting for me. Right. Um, yeah. Early on, right from the start, it may be eh, just a few things, maybe a few benefits, but I think down the road, it, it, it's going to be a, a pretty significant impact. And I, and I love the fact that you all brought this to, 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 to the language. Uh, yeah. So that, that's championed by uh, Robin Rickard and Rick Button uh, from Bloomberg. So uh, nice. yeah, just I, I said I was biased, but uh, I honestly do think this is a really good language feature as well. Uh, well, I'll be obvious. This is this is this is probably the one I've been the, the most excited about since it first first emerged. So I, I I can't wait. Are there any other proposals that you're looking forward to coming, whether they started from Bloomberg or not? Um. So so I guess kind of um re related to um uh to to JavaScript um is the concept of, of of bundling and whether there's you know more we can do there 
to get um, to to get bundling understood by the platform more. Uh, and so one thing that's coming up now is resource bundles. Uh, this is kind of an evolution of what used to be web bundles. Uh, and this is the concept of an archive file, you know, kind of like a zip file uh, that could be used to individually ship um, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, WebAssembly in one single fetch operation so that you don't have that network overhead of re repeated uh, uh, fetches. Uh, and, uh, and and so uh, uh, this could uh, allow us to, uh, to avoid needing to come up with, you know, proprietary, not proprietary, um, it avoids the need to come up with kind of like um, custom ways of binding these things together. Or making the protocol much more complicated with multiplexing and push and <laughs> Well, yeah, it, and, it, it, exactly. Yeah. I think I think we've we've learned that HTTP two is not a, a magic solution to everything. Yeah. Well, come on, it was portrayed as a magic solution for everything. We could have the server push resources. Okay. Now, turns out that that was performed pretty badly over uh, uh, network over error prone networks such as mobile phones, and as well as controlling what you have cache, you have in the cache in the browser is actually pretty hard. So uh, turns I, out I, I, that I would it's just, useless. I, I, I would have just stopped with the fact that, you know, you had so many of HTTP uh, intermediaries, the middle box providers and stuff like that saying, we don't want this as a feature. But it got put into the language anyway, or into the protocol anyway. It would have been in like, you know, or you know, there's challenges with it, there's issues with it, but it's but it's still there. I would have stopped there <laughs> before. Yeah, no, I did I did just out, so but, to be honest, yeah. I did uh, some research on this topic uh, on uh, on speedy and see the performance drop on those uh, error prone, long latency error prone networks. And you know, it's um uh, maybe with HTTP three, who knows? That HTTP three will solve all the problems, right? Definitely. <laughs> we, we have to, we we have some other problems before we get uh, we can start pushing out. That's a whole. That's going to be a whole podcast top uh, um, episode in itself. Well, okay. Um, you know, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation, uh, Robert. You know, yeah, yeah, thank you for. Thank you for joining us. Hope, hope folks uh, in, enjoyed it. Um, if you have any references, uh, we can put them into the show notes. You know, links to the, the different specifications or the, or the proposals, that kind of thing. Anything that you you'd want to share, uh, we can bundle them into the show notes. For anyone listening, remember, you know, you, you can listen to OpenIVJS on uh, Apple Podcasts, on uh, Spotify, or any other uh, uh, many other players. If you go to Anchor FM uh, forward slash OpenIVJS, you can find us there. And you know, again, yeah, you know, thanks for thanks for joining us, Rob. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Rob, for being with us. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been awesome. And thanks everyone for listening. This has been another episode of OpenHive.js, the podcast for all things JavaScript from Nearfor. Be sure to subscribe to OpenHive.js on your favorite podcast player. Join us next time for more insights and opinions from the open source and JavaScript communities. Until then, I'm Matteo Collina. Thanks for listening.